When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, today, it's it's one of those things where I'm going to talk about something that we've talked about many times before. Uh, it's about one of the things that I enjoy the most about botanical method aquariums, and, and, and really what it is, it's something I stress so often, but I just can't say it often enough, is that the botanical aquarium can function much like the wild habitats that it's intended to represent. Part of that function involves, you know, ecodiversity and the production of life forms which serve as food for our fishes. And the ability for fishes to at least supplement their diets that we, you know, the diets that we provide them with by foraging in their aquarium is a real big deal. And yeah, we've talked about it a lot. I know, I know, I know, but it's a, such a big deal. Now, at least upon superficial examination, our aquarium, you know, leaf litter or botanical beds seem to function much like their wild counterparts, uh, creating, you know, a really rich foraging area within the aquariums. And continuous reports from those of you who breed in rare fishes in your botanical stocked, you know, uh, aquariums indicate that you're seeing better acclimation for wild species, great color, more regularity and productivity in spawns, and a higher you know, survival rate of the fry of some species than you've previously experienced. There's something there. It's not a coincidence. There's a great deal of merit to operate in our aquariums this way. Nature provides you know, all the examples that we need. And as we've discussed so many times, uh, the leaf litter beds in tropical waters are home to this huge diversity of life, ranging from microbial to fungal, as well as crustaceans and insects. Oh, and of course, fishes. And these life forms are the basis of a complex and dynamic food web, which uh, food webs are one of the keys to productivity in these types of habitats. Now, by researching, developing, and managing our own botanically influenced aquariums, particularly those with leaf litter beds, we may be on the cusp of finding new ways to create you know, nurseries for the rearing of many fishes. I think that's really exciting. The main sources of sustenance for fishes are the food webs constructed by you know, flooded forests and so forth, or aquatic herbaceous vegetation and algae. Uh, Allochthonous sources, remember that? Like detritus and botanical materials like leaves are the main pathways for energy and nutrients produced by the forests to get to the aquatic habitats. Now, phytoplankton in these so-called impoverished blackwater habitats is something that we've likely downplayed, but we should. In the rainy season in areas like the Amazon or Southeast Asia, the main flow of what ecologists call biomass into the food web comes from surrounding forests and forested areas. Also, studies have found that in the backwaters of main tributaries, the floating submerged leaves of marginal vegetation are colonized by dense aggregations of these so-called epiphytes. So, stick on that for a second, floating submerged leaves. Now, interestingly, both algae and macrophytes, which are aquatic plants which grow in and around the water, emerge, submerged, you know, floating, etc., enter into aquatic food webs mostly in the form of detritus, uh, fine and coarse particulate organic matter, or being you know transported by water flow and settling onto the substrate where they're acted upon by 
um, fungal growths and so forth. Now, not only do macrophytes contribute to the physical structure and the spatial organization of the water bodies that they inhabit, but they're primary contributors, contributors to the overall you know, biological stability of the habitat, conditioning the physical parameters of the water as well. Of course, anyone who keeps a planet aquarium could attest to that, right? Now, one of the more interesting things about macrophytes is that although there are a lot of fishes which feed directly upon them, the plants themselves are perhaps most valuable as a microhabitat for algae, zooplankton, and other organisms which the fishes feed upon. So small aquatic crustaceans, you know, seek out the shelter of plants for both the food resources they provide, zooplankton and diatoms, and for protection from predators, which, you know, the fishes. So it's pretty important. Perhaps most interesting to us botanical method aquarium people, though, are what are known as epiphytes. And these are organisms which grow on the surface of plants or other substrates like botanicals and leaves. And they derive their nutrients from the surrounding environment. Uh, things like fungal growths and, you know, other epiphytic material, or, excuse me, fungal growths and uh, I should say biofilms. I don't know why I said epiphytic material because that's what we're talking about, uh, are super, super important. And again... Uh, there are these are really important in nutrient cycling, and they can uptake in both nature, you know, an uptake in both nature and aquarium, and that adds to biodiversity and serves as an important food source for tons of fishes. Now, I believe that a botanical, you know, method aquarium complete with its decomposing leaves and seed pods can serve as a sort of buffet for many fishes, even those whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects and worms and stuff like that. If you look at gut content analysis of many fishes uh, in the wild, it confirms this. Detritus and the organisms within the aquarium can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes. In the case of wild you know, aquatic habitats like streams, ponds, and you know, the aforementioned inundated forests, these epiphytes are abundant, and many fishes will spend large amounts of their lives foraging the bio cover on, you know, tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials. And although most animals use leaves and tree branches for shelter and not directly as a food item, grazing on the epiphytic material is hugely important. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with the stuff in every little nook and cranny. It's like the whole game here. It's just an explosion of life-giving materials, and it's free for the taking. It's a real gift from nature. And it's all there from the taking if you're a fish in a botanical method aquarium filled with leaves and seed pods and stuff. The key, as always, is to not go crazy siphoning out every bit of detritus and removing all the fungal strands and biofilms from your wood, your seed pods, and your leaves. As we've mentioned many, many times, when we do this, we're essentially disrupting the food web in a very real way. The key, like so many things we ask you to do in botanical method, you know, aquariums is to think a little bit differently, to make those mental shifts. And once you realize that that stringy looking fungal growth is actually part of the food chain, things get very, very interesting. Many fishes will consume these items as part of their daily grazing activities. And now our aquarium fishes do get a bit spoiled, especially, you know, after they've been with us for a while, knowing they're never more than a few hours away from stuff like, you know, brine shrimp and black worms and stuff like that. However, I can't help but imagine if there's some value to even abstaining from feeding them prepared foods for, say, I don't know, once a week or whatever, just to let them sort of engage in their natural, you know, instinctive feeding habitats, like a hab it's like, you know, picking at substrate and digging through detritus, etc. In a botanical method aquarium, this type of feeding abstinence could easily be achieved, right? We have the food resources right there. 
And then there's, of course, that food which comes from outside the environment. Let's talk about that again. Now, most fish species will take food from what are known as allochthonous inputs, uh, food that originated from outside, uh, like insects, uh, other invertebrates, plant parts that fall from trees and stuff like that. Like, have you ever seen those videos of like Paku uh, chowing down on fruits that fall in the water? It's pretty amazing. I've, I've even seen pics of arowanas leaping out of the water to pluck a frog off of a branch. I mean, talk about allochthonous input, right? And then, of course, there are terrestrial insects, which form a huge part of the diet of many fishes. Yeah, terrestrial insects. They're very important. They're a significant part of the diet of fishes like small terracins. In fact, a study of some hemogramma species indicated that a whopping 96% of their stomach contents were terrestrial insects, mainly ants. Well, this is actually not surprising when you think about it, because ants are ridiculously abundant in tropical forests, and particularly in the central Amazon basin, where surveys have estimated that they may constitute as much as, check this out, three quarters of the biomass of the soil fauna in these areas. So in addition to providing a potentially rich source of energy for kerosens, ants tend to become vulnerable to predation once they're in the water, so they're really easy picking for tetras. Now, the predominance of ants in the gut content analysis of hemogramus, hephesobricon, and other tetras may also indicate that these species feed naturally on the surface of the water, given that these insects tend to float and fall away on the surface after falling into the water. You know, they flail away. I don't know why I said fall away. Um, meaning their you know, arms and legs, their legs are moving and so that fishes are attracted to them. So the allochthonous inputs of tropical streams are really fascinating to me for the main reason that these are some of the easiest food items found in many fishes' diets that we can replicate in, in the aquarium as naturally as possible. We've discussed before that items like bloodworms represent an excellent, highly realistic representation of the insect larvae that fishes from these habitats consume. Since items like ants and various flies are an important component of the diet of many fishes, including things like fruit flies, small house flies, and yeah, small ants in your fish's diets, is actually a really realistic representation of part of what they consume in the wild. Of course, it's not just the fishes which derive benefits from the terrestrial materials in general, which find their way into the water. You know, the bacteria, the fungi, and the algae also act upon the nutrients released into the water by decomposing organic material from plants. Aquatic plants, known as macrophytes again, uh, grow in or near the water and are either emergent, submergent, or floating, and they play this huge role in sort of filtering these flooded habitats in nature. Terrestrial trees also play a role in removing, utilizing, and returning nutrients to the aquatic habitat. They remove some of the nutrient from the submerged soils and return some of it in the form of leaf drop. Now, interestingly, studies show that about oh, 70%, I think it was, of the leaf drop from surrounding trees in the agapo habitats that I'm so obsessed with occurs when the area is submerged, but the bulk of it is shedded by trees at the end of the inundation period. So these falling leaves gradually decompose and become part of the detritus in the food web, which is essential for this, you know, many species of fishes. So this late inundation leaf drop also set things up, sets things up nicely for the next round, providing a sort of starter of nutrients for the forest floor and then when the floods come back. So our ability to you know, mimic this aspect of flooded forest habitats is a real source of benefits for the fishes that we keep. And I think a key to unlocking the secrets of long-term maintenance and husbandry of botanically influenced aquariums. It's all interrelated. That transformation of dry you know, forest floors into aquatic habitats provides this tremendous amount of inspiration and biological diversity and activity for both the natural environment and in our aquariums. 
there's many takeaways for hobbyists that uh, can be had by studying these habitats. I firmly believe that the idea of embracing the construction or nurturing of a food web within our aquariums goes hand in hand with the concept of the botanical method aquarium. So with the abundance of leaves and other botanical materials now available as fuel to fungal and microbial growth and diligent husbandry and intellectual curiosity that we all have, the practical execution of this type of a concept is really not too difficult to create, to understand, and to embrace. We're truly positioned well to explore and further develop this whole concept of food webs in our own systems, and potentially the benefits are just almost impossible to measure. And further, I think that studying gut content analysis of fishes that we love is really an interesting way to develop more natural diets in general and feeding strategies for our fishes. So you can find these gut content analyses by going, you know, doing deep dives on resources like Google Scholar, Stelio, etc. There's so much good information out there to, to glean. It's just worth the effort. So our meal plan should be more than just, you know, purchasing a package of premium dried food. I mean, the dried foods today are amazing, and I'd be absolutely insane and remiss if I didn't urge you to buy some Fluval bug bites to feed your fishes. Those are really great. It's literally made from insects. It's a great food. If you're a bit of more of a DIY type, the Rapashi line of gel premix foods, particularly the one they call Agapo Explorer, is really fantastic. Yeah, there's some great prepared foods out there too. However, I encourage, I actually urge you to explore the idea of letting your aquarium do some of the work when it comes to feeding your fishes. To become more involved in studying how this works, it's pretty amazing stuff. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your fishes in the aquarium, like kerosene, cyprinids, laricarids, and others, you'll see that in between feedings, they spend an awful lot of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank in botanical method aquariums. This is pretty common stuff, and I believe it's an important benefit to this type of system, as I mentioned before. When you start seeing your fishes graze continuously on the materials that pop up on your driftwood and your botanicals, you start realizing that although you might not like the look of some of this stuff, and it's not what you had in mind years you know, ago, it's a beautiful thing to our fishes. You can do this. And as a lover of the botanical method aquarium approach, you're at the forefront of the art and science of creating functional food webs within the aquarium. It's very exciting, and it all starts with just a little research and a little bit of patience. Stay curious, stay engaged, stay observant, stay diligent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.